Friends, as we come to that time of prayer in our worship service, we want to lift up those who are ill, those who are healing, for our friends and families who may be grieving during this time and those that may be rejoicing. May we remember that in all seasons of life that God is with us and that we are a community that lifts up and prays for one another. So let us pray. Jesus, you asked questions and told stories. And so God, may we also be people who see the power in asking why. And may we sit in the wonder of someone else's story. Help us kindle curiosity when the world whispers that there's just one way. Help us spark imagination when the world prefers how it's always been. Help us fuel passion when the world shouts it's easier not to care. Oh Jesus, who wept and turned water into wine, help us be people who weep with those who weep. And help us be people that dance in joy with those that rejoice. Help us to model empathy when the world whispers, why bother? Help us clothe ourselves in compassion when the world prefers a hard heart. And help us to embody love when the world says that some don't deserve it. Oh God, you know the aches of humanity. And so we ask your help in seeing the imaginative, the passionate power of Christ. May we be people of empathy and compassion and love out in the world. And so God, this morning, as we hear your message for us, as we hear the ways that you are calling out to us, may we pray the prayer that you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 through 34, and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible translation. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. There is more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest. They have no silo or barn, yet God feeds them. You are worth so much more than birds. Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? If you can't do such a small thing, why worry about the rest? Notice how the lilies grow. They don't wear themselves out with work, and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon, in all his splendor, wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow, it's thrown into the furnace, how much more will God do for you, you people of weak faith? Don't chase after what you will eat and what you will drink. Stop worrying. 
All the nations of the world long for these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights in giving you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Make for yourselves wallets that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes near there, and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. The Word of God in Scripture, the Word of God within us, the Word of God among us. Thanks be to God. When I was in the fourth or fifth grade, my friends and I were playing on the playground one day during recess. I guess I should say we were playing underneath the playground. We had two playgrounds at my elementary school. One was newer than the other. The old one had gravel, and the newer one had wood chips. And we were sitting there digging around in the wood chips and talking, and one of my friends dug a few inches down and found this thick netting, almost like a tarp, like we couldn't get through it with our bare hands, and we were intrigued. So the next day, we came back with some scissors. I should say like kitty scissors, right? But they got the job done. We, we cut through the netting, and underneath we found this red clay that was really malleable. It was almost like molding clay, even though clearly it was part of the installation of the playground. And we realized we were onto something. We scooped out some of that red clay and took it back to class with us, and, and we were playing with it during class uh, that afternoon when some of our friends and classmates saw it, and they said, where did you get that red clay? And we thought to ourselves, oh, we just struck gold. And we said, you know, I can't tell you where I got this clay, but if you come back tomorrow with like a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, then I could get you a bag of this red clay. So the next day we go back to the playground, and this time we bring spoons with us, right? It's like Shawshank Redemption, fourth grade edition. And we start digging out this red clay from underneath the playground. And we, uh, we begin selling it by the baggie to our classmates. And before too long, every desk at Meadow Creek Elementary had a little bit of red clay on it. And people were making little figures and sculptures. Uh, the, the Meadow Creek Elementary Red Clay Mining Company was underway, and we were making a tidy little profit until the regulators stepped in. I mean, they're called teachers, I know. But uh, they, they explained to us in no uncertain terms that what we were doing was profiting off the destruction of school property. And that put the kibosh on our little entrepreneurial endeavor. I was thinking about that this past week as I was watching a news story that maybe you've been following too, the absolute frenzy taking hold of Wall Street as GameStop, uh, a video game retailer, that was thought to be sort of dead in the water, suddenly has become one of the more valuable stocks in the world, much to the chagrin of some very expensive hedge funds that had uh, been betting on its failure until a large army of internet retail investors caught wind of their bet and decided that they would fight back. I don't want to get into the details of the story. Uh, in fact, I, like you, had to do a lot of Googling to understand what these terms meant this week. Uh, but what I want to say is, is I've noticed any, that as the story about Wall Street and, and the kinds of numbers that are tossed around and the billions of dollars, and as I was personally reminded of the 08 financial crisis and, and so much of that anger is what's fueling a lot of uh, what's going on this, this week amongst uh, those who are fighting against the hedge funds. You know, what's on display is what happens when our systems become corrupted by greed and reveal themselves to be broken. 
It's the same kind of greed that my heart first got a taste of when I was in the fourth grade and found some red clay under a playground and thought to myself, here's a way to make a buck. Um, that greed can work on us over time. It can not just infect us as individuals, it can plague our systems as well. And as we continue in our series called A Generous Life this Sunday, it's a four-week journey that we're on here at Arapahoe as we try to uh, grow in generosity as individuals and as a beloved community together. You know, the first week, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus telling us that we know a tree by its fruit. And last week, we talked about Paul's words to a church in Philippi and considered who we're called to be as the church called Arapahoe. And this week, we're going to look closer at the personal call to generosity, understanding that so often greed and selfishness stand in the way, that inside of us is this complicated human nature that wants to be generous and yet also is prone to greed and selfishness as well. And so, how does our faith speak into that mess? How does our faith lead us into a better way of living? Jesus has something to say on the subject in Luke chapter 12, and the words that we just heard about birds and flowers and finding our heart where our treasure lies. But if you noticed, he began his teaching here with the word, therefore. In verse 22, he said to his disciples, therefore. And anytime you're studying Scripture and you see someone say, therefore, that ought to be a huge clue, a red flag that you ought to look back and see what they said just before, because they're building on an idea. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's building on this parable that he tells to a crowd that is gathered. I want to share that with you now, and we're going to walk through this text beginning in verse 13, all the way through the passage that we just heard a moment ago. And Jesus is going to not just inspire us to greater generosity, but I believe Jesus shows us a way to get there, gives us some actionable steps and deeper understanding of where that generosity comes from. So let's read through this together. It says in verse 13 of chapter 12, if you're following along, Luke 12, verse 13, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version now. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to the crowd, Jesus is now talking to everyone gathered there, he says, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Right? This is a good problem to have. He's got a bigger harvest than he has room in storage. And then he says, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. There's an idea. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is for those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. So let's stop there and notice a few things that are, I think, important for us this Sunday. First, notice the language of the man in this parable, right? No, notice how many characters are in his story. Now, he's a rich man. He's over all this land. Presumably, there is a community around him, and yet all of the words he use, uses are I, me, my. 
What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, you get the idea. It's like he's the only character in his story. To a foolish degree, of course, right? And, but Jesus takes it even further with the language that's used. It's kind of ramped up, escalated to an almost comedic level because the Greek word for be merry, when he tells his soul, soul, relax, eat, drink, be merry, in the Greek, that word for be merry is actually alliterative with God's first spoken word next of you fool. And so if you were listening back then to Luke's gospel, this is a part that you might even let out a chuckle. But it stops being funny when we realize that this is one of those gut-check moments in the gospel. When Jesus isn't just asking us to point fingers and to notice how poorly acting this this man is, to, to see how selfish and greedy he is, but instead Jesus is asking us to pull ourselves in to the story, to see ourselves as this rich landowner, and to ask ourselves some difficult questions to remind us that we're not too different frequently. Sometimes I feel like I haven't grown up that much since I was underneath the playground finding clay at Meadow Creek. As I was reading this text this week, a convicting question came across my heart. When my harvest comes in, is my first instinct to build bigger barns or bigger tables? Because the man is a rich man, there's a community around him, and yet his first thought isn't, wow, look at all of this crop, look at this abundant harvest, I can't wait to share this with everyone around me. Think of how many mouths I could feed, think of how long they could eat, maybe we could eat for an entire season off this crop. Instead, he thinks, nope, I need a bigger barn, I need more space to store my stuff. Isn't this good for me? How often do I have success visit my life, and rather than thinking, how could this be a blessing for everyone around me? How could I build a bigger table, invite more people in? How could I set the table so that everyone feels welcome and has enough to eat? Instead, I think, i got to get me a bigger barn. When my harvest comes in, is my first instinct to build bigger barns or bigger tables. On this parable, Jesus continues teaching And this is where we pick up with the words that we heard just a moment ago. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Do you hear the yous there? Jesus is connecting us back to that parable. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. He's saying, I just showed you what greed and selfishness looks like and where it leads us. Now I'm going to show you some way that is different to live. He goes on to say, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. And I want to stop, pause there for a moment to underscore this point that I think is important to remember again, anytime we're studying Scripture, we got to know who Jesus is talking to and who he's not talking to in this moment. This is one of those phrases and, and, and verses that gets plucked out of Scripture and, and, and weaponized to use against the poor or the hungry to say, why are you worried about money? Jesus says, don't worry about money. Why are you worried about food? Jesus says don't worry about food. Jesus is not teaching the poor and the hungry in this moment. He's talking to a crowd, a community, people that look a lot like me, and I'm trusting like many of us watching this morning, people who live rather comfortable lives. You know, I've lived paycheck to paycheck. I've had the eviction notice on my door earlier in my life, but I haven't lived that way in a long time. I haven't wondered where my next paycheck's coming from. I haven't wondered about my next meal. Jesus isn't talking about those 
who are terrified for their existence, who are, who are starving, who are naked, who are poor. Jesus is talking to people like me, maybe someone like you, those of us who are comfortable, who honestly have what we need and are more concerned about what more we could have. To us, he says this, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And can any of you, by worrying at a single hour to your span of life, that one hits? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, he says. Okay, we've gone from birds to flowers. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving, hear that word striving, for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. Now, sometimes I've read this passage and I've grown frustrated with it. Maybe you have too, because I hear Jesus saying, don't worry, don't be anxious. And I think, well, that sounds nice, Jesus, but how do I do that? It's like telling someone who's depressed, just don't be so sad, right? Like, oh, thanks, that's really, that's really helpful information, I appreciate that. But I don't think Jesus is calling us simply uh, to adopt some sort of magical thinking, I don't think Jesus is asking us to just suddenly stop being anxious and worrying. In fact, I think he's acknowledging that as human beings, we're prone to anxiety. We're prone to worry. He knows that's a part of what it means to be human. Instead, what he's asking us to do is to keep from striving. That word striving, it's there because in the Greek language, those words for anxious and worry, they weren't just words about what happens up here. They weren't just mental thoughts. They were, they were, the connotation is that they, they were these emotions and thoughts that became actions, that we lived out of these things. And so Jesus isn't saying, just stop being anxious. He's saying, don't allow your anxious thoughts to turn into selfish action. It's, it's one thing to think this way. It's another thing to begin to live this way and to strive, he says. Other words are clutch or grasp. Don't go grasping after all these things out of your anxiety, out of your worry. Jesus is calling us to a behavioral shift, to go from grasping to giving. Rather than clutching and clinging and grasping those things, the money, the possessions, the status, the security, the peace that we think we'll find, if we just hold tightly enough, he's saying, I'm calling you to give, to release Yes, the stuff, but so much more than that. To release, when you release the stuff, you're releasing anxiety and worry as well. How do we get there, you might ask? Jesus gives us a clue in this passage before. He's talking about birds and lilies. Did you hear the common refrain after each? How much more are you worth than birds, Jesus says. You know, there's some really bad theology out there that gets preached in a lot of pulpits, and maybe you heard something like this growing up, or maybe you've heard something like this preached recently in your life. You're worthless. Human beings are worms. We're lower than low. We're nothing. We deserve nothing. I would call those preachers to once again read the gospel of Luke chapter 12, because here I hear Jesus reminding me of our worth, reminding me of my worth, of your worth. And not just that, Jesus knows that understanding our worth, the the depth of our worth is key 
to trusting in God and walking away from a path of anxiety and worry. Because as long as I'm wondering about my worth, and all of us do, we're all looking to feel worthy and valuable in life. As long as I'm wondering about that, as long as I can't trust in the fact that I am God's beloved, then I'll go looking in the barn, right? I'm going to go back to the barn that I've built, and I'm going to open it up, and it's always going to look like it could be a little more full or a little bit bigger, and it's never quite what I need. Because the barn is never going to make me feel as worthy as I could feel living as God's beloved. That is what Jesus is calling us to. A behavioral shift that leads us to trust in God when God says, you are worthy. And it's not a light switch. We can't just turn this off and on. We build trust over time. We build trust over time with God and with one another. But Jesus says that to move from grasping to giving, we have to trust that our worth is found through living like we're beloved rather than looking to the barn. Because as long as we're looking to the barn, it can never be big enough. It It will never be full enough to offer us the peace and security and value and worth that we are looking for. So he puts a nice little bow on this passage by saying, For it is the nations of the world that strive, that grasp after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in case you're wondering if Jesus was going prosperity gospel, he reminds us, sell your possessions and give alms. Divestment, releasing possessions, is part of the Christian journey. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus says we can know a tree by its fruit. And what he meant by that is that we can understand the reality of our faith based upon our actions. Our actions can reveal the state of our faith. In the same way he's saying, when we look to see where our treasure is kept, we might be able to see where our heart is. Not physically, but the state of our heart. If our treasure is kept in the barn, under lock and key, waiting for the next big harvest to come, we will be kept locked up in fear and anxiety, worried about the thief coming or the famine coming or the barn burning down or maybe my neighbor's barn is bigger than mine. Oh no, oh no, oh no. But when our treasure is instead shared at a table, shared in community, shared with everyone that we understand is as worthy as we are, Beloved children of God, when our treasure is shared at the table, when we move from grasping to giving, our hearts will be found in compassion and love. The same kind of compassion and love that drives God to come in the person of Jesus to lead us away from worry and anxiety towards generosity and to peace. So this week, I've got a prayerful question that I'll continue to ask myself. I want to invite you to ask this this week as well. As we continue to chew on this text, I hope that you'll go home and read it again and again. This is one that you can go back to again and again, and you'll see different details. But I'm asking myself this question. I want to invite you to ask it as well. This week, how will I live? Not how can, but how will I live with a smaller barn and a bigger table? This week, how will I live with a smaller barn and a bigger table? Because I'm tired of going back to the barn to try to figure out how much I'm worth. I'm ready to begin living more like I am God's beloved, to see each of you as God's beloved, to trust in my worth, to trust in our worth, to see that we're worth it, 
to share our treasure at the table, to find generosity through Christ. Amen.